Well, good morning. Uh, I invite everybody to go ahead and take out their sermon bulletins at this time. Uh, we are on week seven of our series called Blessed, where we are looking at the eight Beatitudes of Jesus uh, found in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter five. And if you remember, these are eight characteristics or descriptions of disciples. They're eight characteristics of what it means to be a kingdom person. And so for the past several weeks, we've been looking at these one by one and trying to live into what Jesus has called us to. Um, When you look at the Beatitudes, it's really interesting. If you remember, the first four Beatitudes are what we call the roots of the kingdom life. This is how we meet God. Those who meet God are spiritually bankrupt. They mourn, they're meek, and they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And out of that, what is produced is what we call the fruits of the kingdom life. These are the last four Beatitudes. Those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, and those who endure persecution. And today, we want to talk about the Beatitude that says, Blessed is a peacemaker. So we're going to be talking about a peacemaker. Uh, just so we're clear on the front end, we're not going to be talking about this kind of a peacemaker. It's not a, it's not a cold peacemaker, but it's this kind of peacemaker instead. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of unpack that a little bit more as we go along. Um, but before we start, why don't we begin uh, with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and I ask that you would help us Not to advance our own kingdoms, not to advance our own agendas, but to advance your kingdom and your agenda. Give us a single-mindedness, Father. Help us to pay attention to what your Spirit has to say to us today from the preaching of your word. I pray that you would uh, anoint me to preach your word and communicate to the people in this room what you want them to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the 1991 movie, The Grand Canyon, uh, there's a scene near the very beginning of the film where there's uh, this immigration attorney, this very wealthy immigration attorney, and he's in Los Angeles, and and like almost everybody is in Los Angeles, he's in a traffic jam. And uh, he's, he's sitting in this traffic jam, and he wants to get out of it, so he goes around the traffic jam and ends up going down the side street where eventually his brand new Lexus stalls out and breaks down in this crime-ridden, dangerous neighborhood. And this immigration attorney eventually is able to get to a payphone and call a tow truck. But as he's waiting for the tow truck to arrive in his car, a gang starts approaching him. And they start threatening him and hurling insults at him. And eventually, at the kind of climax of this scene, uh, the immigration attorney gets out of the car and you're just kind of waiting for what's going to happen next. And then the tow truck shows up and it parks right in front of the Lexus. And the tow truck driver, played by Danny Glover, hops out of the car and starts doing his job. Well, of course, the gang doesn't like this, so they start kind of heckling uh, the tow truck driver. But then what happens is the tow truck driver pulls aside the leader of this gang and he says something that is very profound. He says something that I think all of us feel in our veins. Here's what he says. Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know it. But this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. I love that. I love that last line there. Everything's supposed to be different than it is here. 
Have any of you felt that at some point during the past few weeks? Maybe in your relationship with a family member, maybe at work, maybe with a friend. Have you felt like everything's supposed to be different than the way it is? You see, your world and my world oftentimes are filled with conflict where there's supposed to be peace. I don't know exactly what that is for you. Maybe it's office politics. And uh, in the office that you work at, the cubicle side is turning against the management side and there's name calling and maneuvering and you can't eat lunch with this person and you kind of have to pick sides and you just feel stuck in the middle of it. Or maybe it's your mother and your mother is just breathing down your neck, always telling you how to raise your kids and trying to micromanage your life. And you just want to tell her to stay out of it. Maybe that's the tension that's in your life. Or maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with the person that is sitting next to you right now. And for the past few weeks, you guys have been locking horns and you've been fighting and they, they're, they're not dealing with the issues and you just feel stuck. You feel like things are on the rocks. Or maybe others of you, it's your kids. Maybe some of you mothers, you're driving your kids to the store and they're fighting and they're arguing and so you threaten to, to pull the car over and nothing happens. And then you tell them you're going to count to three and nothing happens. And then you count to ten and then to forty and nothing happens. And so you just go home and you pour yourself a glass of wine and take a bath and give up because the conflict is too thick. Could be a lot of different issues. Some of you have blended families. Others of you have parents you haven't spoken to in years. But whatever it is, it's conflict. And this morning, we are going to be looking at the seventh beatitude of Jesus. And it's my hope and my prayer that during this message, uh, Jesus would have something for you for those relationships. That he would help you navigate the rocky waters of conflict, which are so hard for all of us. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 9. Uh, the text will also be on the screen above. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed or approved or fortunate are those who make peace, because they will be called children of God. Notice here what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, blessed are the peace lovers. He does not say blessed are those who really want peace, who like peace or who are or for peace. That's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers. All of us want peace, but being a peace lover and a peacemaker are two radically different things. Because peacemaking takes hard work. It takes perseverance. It's a lot more than just complaining about peace on your Facebook post. Or it's a lot more than just putting a certain bumper sticker on your car. The word in the original language here for peacemaking denotes um, activity. It's about striving. It's about making every effort. It's about doing everything within your power to make peace, to make peace. The other interesting thing is that this word peace, when we think about peace uh, in our English language, what do we think about? Oftentimes, it's the absence of conflict, right? So if Syria could get its act together and maybe get the Assad regime out of the way and people stop killing each other, then there would be what? There would be peace in Syria. If Egypt could just kind of get a stable government, there would be peace in Egypt. 
if, uh, if, if the shouty matches would just stop at home, there would be peace at home. When we think about peace, we think of the absence of conflict. But according to the biblical language, the Greek word here is erene, and the Hebrew word behind it is shalom. According to these words, according to the biblical idea, peace is not just, and hear this, please, peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it's also the presence of well-being. It's a presence of well-being. Peace gives away this idea of, of the presence of well-being in every area of your life, whether that's your finances or your health, whether that's your relationships with your friends or your enemies, and especially your relationship with God. Peace is about wholeness. It's about completeness. It's about this, this harmony that the tow truck driver was aching for. According to New Testament scholar Dale Bruner, Peace is a state of well-being in every direction and in every relationship for the whole community. You guys want that kind of a peace? I think many of us do. But one of the things that we also have to realize is just like there's a difference between peace-loving and peacemaking, there's also a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. See, for, for a long time, for years, I was a peacekeeper. I was really good at peacekeeping the peace. And, uh, and maybe many of you are, are good at this as well. Peacekeeping is what we do when we avoid conflict in order to make peace. What peacekeepers do is they work around conflict instead of working in and through conflict. This is really common in many churches. A lot of Christians think that all conflict is bad, and so they avoid peace at all cost. Maybe this even happens in some of your homes. You guys, I just don't want to deal with it. So, so what you do is you and maybe your spouse kind of make this truce where you say we're just gonna we're not gonna talk about it, and we're just gonna kind of go through life and put on our happy face and go to family parties and kind of pretend we're one big happy family. But you know that under the surface there's all of these unresolved issues that need to be dealt with. And then, of course, what happens is several months go by and eventually someone, something sets one person off and then the whole thing just blows up. And the reason for that is because there was unresolved conflict that wasn't dealt with, that wasn't named, that wasn't confronted. That's not how we want to deal with peace. Peace is not a truce. According to General MacArthur, a truce just says we don't shoot for a while. Peace comes when truth is known, the issue is settled, and both parties embrace each other. In our families, in our friendships, in our church, we don't just need a truce, we don't just need a ceasefire, but we need to actively seek the well-being of everyone around us. You need to actively seek the well-being of everyone sitting in this sanctuary today. You need to actively seek the well-being of everyone you know. This is what peacemakers do. Peacemakers engage conflict in order to make peace. They don't go through issues, they don't go, or they don't go around issues, but instead they go through issues. They're like a firefighter who, when everybody else is running away from the problem, they are running straight towards the problem in order to solve it, in order to seek restoration. Paul says something very similar to us in Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And pay attention to this next part. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Paul's telling us there is as far as it depends on us, we are to seek the well-being of everyone around us, of everyone in our sphere of influence, whether this is our bothersome neighbors or the person at work that just gets on our nerves and won't stop talking to us, whether this is uh, with our enemies or our bosses, whether this is with uh, Jews or Muslims or homosexuals or, or white people or black people or Asians. It doesn't matter. Anybody that touches your life, God calls you to seek their highest good, to seek their well-being and to make peace with them. The hardest times to do this, of course, are in conflict. And many of you are in conflict today with someone. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time is to talk about this. It's to give you some practical steps for making peace in the midst of conflict. So the first uh, step, which is represented uh, by my uh, log that got knocked down during the windstorm uh, a couple weeks ago, is to take the log out of our own eye. The first step towards peacemaking is to remove the log out of our own eye. And uh, Jesus talks about this later on in the Sermon on the Mount. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, he says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all of the time there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your own eye. Oftentimes when people read this verse, they think it's talking against correcting others. They think it's saying, don't judge, don't point out other people's faults. But the fact of the matter is that's what, not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is it's warning against improper correction. It's saying before you focus on the faults of another person, take this giant log that's hanging out of your own eye and deal with your own sin. Focus on yourself. Examine your own soul. Examine your faults in the conflict before you move on to examining another's part in the conflict. Is something that's very difficult for many of us. We don't like to say we're wrong. We don't like to confess our sin. And oftentimes when we do this, certain things come to light. In my experience, sometimes I realize that it's a very minor conflict and I'm overreacting and I could uh, just forgive them without taking it further. Other times I realize sinful attitudes or behaviors that need to be dealt with. And when I identify those sinful behaviors, Scripture is very clear on what we do next. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James 5.16. I want all of us to think about this for a moment. What would your relationships be like if when you sinned, you confessed it? I'm sorry, I was wrong. I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? And then you prayed together. How amazingly different would our relationships look like if we truly owned our own sin, confessed it to the other person, and then prayed together like James is telling us here. This is what peacemakers do. And the way they do this is they admit specific wrongs without excuses. Don't miss that. They, miss, they, they, they admit specific wrongs without excuses. We say to the other person, when we are wrong, when we are confessing our sin, here's what I did wrong, no excuses. You don't dare say to the other person or maybe to your spouse, I'm sorry I looked at inappropriate material on the Internet, but if you had only been meeting my needs, I, I wouldn't have to. 
right? That's not an excuse. That's pathetic. That's a cop out. We don't say to the other person, well, I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt, you big fat baby. That's, that's again, that's not, that's not an excuse. Uh, that's, that's name calling. And that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to apologize for specific actions. Honey, I'm sorry I belittled you in front of your friends. There is no excuse for that. And I apologize. There's a big difference between remorse and repentance. See, remorse says, uh, I'm sorry I got caught, or I'm sorry your feelings are hurt. Repentance goes a step further. It doesn't stop with I'm sorry, but repentance says, I was wrong, I sinned, will you please forgive me? If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this next part. I'm sorry is for mistakes, will you forgive me is for sin. Uh, I'm sorry I left the cupboard door open. That's a mistake. Will you please forgive me for lying to you? That's a sin. As kingdom people, we don't stop with I'm sorry, but we go the next step when we have sinned against someone and we ask for forgiveness. But this can be difficult, um, but this is what God calls us to do. The first step he calls us to do is to take the log out of our own eye. But then next, if you notice in Matthew 7, 5, he tells us what the next step is. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the second step in peacemaking is uh, represented by this uh, jar full of specks. And the second step in peacemaking is for us to carefully approach and confront and engage the other person so that we can gently point out the speck in their own eye. This is hard for many of us. A lot of us don't like to confront other people. But Scripture is very clear that when there is a problem, when there's a pattern of behavior or a major offense, what God calls us to do is to go to them one-on-one and talk about it. If they have a problem with us, Scripture still calls us to go to them one-on-one and talk about it. In Ephesians 4.26, it says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is serious stuff. But how do we do that? How do we approach another person? Do we scream at them? Do we throw things at them? What, what's the best way for approaching people if we're admitting or if, if we're trying to help them take responsibility for their part in the conflict? Well, the answer is this. We do it gently and in love. We do it gently and in love. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. We do it carefully. We do it gently. And we also do it with love. Ephesians four fifteen. We speak the truth in love. We don't yell the truth in love. We don't throw things across the room in love. But we gently speak the truth in love. This is very difficult, and sometimes we need some practical steps. So what I want to do is just share with us a few practical steps that have been helpful for me, some things I've kind of learned along the way of how we can uh, gently and in love uh, take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye. The first one is this. Do not raise a new issue in conflict. If uh, your wife is throwing a shoe across the room and it's in midair, don't unload four more things that have been bothering you from the last week. Uh, that's, that's not the best time and she's not going to be receptive. Peacemakers do not 
raise new issues in the middle of conflict. The principle here is that we work on conflict during non-conflict times. Number two, don't get historical. If you're in the middle of an argument, don't keep a scorecard of everything they've done wrong for the past few years and then just kind of unload on them as they're pointing something out maybe in your own life. Well, you always do this. Well, you said this, 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 and this. Checkmate. I mean, that's, that's not the way that we handle conflict. That's not the way that we're peacemakers. Third, attack the issue and never the person. Attack the issue and never the person. Um, I aspire to work hard and to rest hard. And my wife, Kelly, doesn't always appreciate the latter of those. And uh, so a couple months ago, we were at home and, and we, we had dinner and I do what I oftentimes did. And right after dinner, I hop on the couch, I take my shoes off, I put them up, I have my iPad, I'm watching TV. And in the meantime, Kelly is doing the dishes, entertaining the kids and cleaning the house. And for some reason, she didn't think that was fair. Um, I don't know why, but uh, she tried to hint that maybe I should not lay on the couch and I just totally missed it. And so here's what she did. Kelly waited till the girls went to bed and then get this. She offered to give me a foot massage on the couch. This was great. It was a sweet deal. So she's sitting there and she's giving me a foot massage. The kids are in bed. Uh, We're in a peaceful situation. And then she thanks me for working hard. She affirms my need for rest. And she gently but firmly tells me what I'm doing wrong. She gently but firmly tells me, honey, I love that you work hard and I know you need rest. But after dinner, I really need some help with you watching the girls. You haven't been home all day. You need time with them. I need time to clean up. Will you please spend time with the girls and get off your iPad after dinner? And, and I was receptive to that because the way she did it was with gentleness and love. She didn't attack the person. She didn't attack me. She didn't say, you're such a horrible husband. You always blah, 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 blah. She didn't attack me. She also wasn't a doormat. Instead, she attacked the issue and not me. Fourth, we don't try to win. Our marriages and our friendships are not a courtroom where we try to prove our innocence. If winning the argument is more important than preserving the relationship, then you have a problem. We don't try to win. The goal of of peacemaking is always the restoration of the relationship. But the truth of the matter is, even if we do these things right, even if we take the log out of our own eye and gently take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye, often what happens is they don't respond the way we want to, right? It's not always as clean as it seems. There's, There's a certain messiness to it. And so sometimes things end up differently. Sometimes it takes negotiation. Sometimes it takes mediation. We've got to bring in other parties to deal with this conflict. Sometimes we have to actually set up boundaries and things work differently. I want to speak to a moment about something uh, very serious that some of you um, might have recently gone through or are currently going through. This is the normal way that we deal with conflict, but there's exceptions. And one of those exceptions is abuse. If you are going through or have gone through physical or sexual abuse, it's usually not the wisest idea to directly confront that person one on one. See, abusers oftentimes are very skilled at manipulation and intimidation. And what they'll do is they'll use that situation to further abuse. 
And so what you need to do, what God calls you to do, is to break silence. It's to find somebody that you trust, somebody in this church, maybe an elder or a pastor, and break silence and bring into the light that which is happening in the darkness. We handle this as a community. We handle this as a church. Peacemaking can be messy. Step number three is this. Release yourself and them from the burden of wrongdoing. Many of you people are like me, and you do not like releasing conflict. You like to hold on to it. Maybe, maybe you just plan on holding on to it for a few days, just so you can kind of hold this above somebody else's head. But what God calls us to is to release the burden of wrongdoing. We're to release the burden in our relationship. We're to release the burden that's between us and them after we've gone through this conflict. But there's another burden that God also calls us to release. And that's the burden that we carry in our own soul. I don't know if any of you have thought about this before, but when I'm having a conflict with someone, when I'm having a fight with Mikey and I'm furious with him, what it does is it affects me emotionally and physically. I can't eat right. I can't think straight because there's this conflict that is consuming my thoughts. Nelson Mandela, the famous uh, peacemaker from South Africa, once said this. Resentment is like drinking a poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. See, when you hang on to bitterness and rage and anger, eventually those things begin to define you. Eventually, those things seep out into the other areas of your life. And increasingly, you're defined by that burden that you're holding onto. And so this third step of releasing our burden is about releasing and truly forgiving so that you don't have to bottle up those emotions anymore. And this is exactly what forgiveness is about. This is exactly what God does to us. He releases the burden in our relationship and he releases the burden in himself. And this is what God calls us to do with others. And even when I say this, I I know that some of you are probably thinking, okay, that sounds fine, Pastor, but you just don't know what I'm going through. You just don't know the deep wounds that are in my soul. You don't know the pain that I've had. And if that's you, I just want to tell you that I might not know the pain that you've gone through, but I do know what betrayal is, and I do know that forgiveness can be very very difficult. Some of you have spouses who have cheated on you, repeatedly cheated on you, and you think to yourself, how can I ever forgive that? Others of you, you have somebody who is close to you that you trusted that failed to protect you when you needed them. And you've been holding on to that for years, and you don't know how you can ever release that burden. Or still others of you might have somebody who has gossiped and slandered you, somebody who has betrayed your friendship, and you think deep down, I am never going to forgive that person. I don't know how I can do that. And if that's you, I'm not going to tell you it's easy to do this, but it's doable. And the Bible tells us how in Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then pay attention to this next part. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we forgive that which seems unforgivable? You forgive as the Lord forgave you. Answer this question. How many sins has the Lord forgiven you of? 
I, I don't know. But for me, I know that he has forgiven me of a ton of sins. He has forgiven me of all kinds of junk, all kinds of crud that I don't even think I'm, I should be forgiven of. But, but through the cross and resurrection, Christ has erased and deleted all of my sins, past, present, and future. He has wiped away every boundary that separated me from him. He has extended to me an unbelievable amount of forgiveness. And friends, this is how we're supposed to forgive others. We're supposed to freely forgive as we have been freely forgiven. So this is the step that we take in peacemaking. First, we take the log out of our own eye. First, we examine our own hearts and our own actions and behaviors and confess that to God and the other person. The second step is that we gently and in love help take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye. And then finally, once we go through these two steps, we release the burden in our relationship and we release the burden in our own soul. I want to share with you uh, a story about two people from our church uh, that illustrates this. And it's a very personal story. Uh, it's about Carol Greenlaw and Patty Putman. And both of them uh, have graciously given me permission to share it. As many of you know, uh, Carol and Patty have been best friends for years. They have been joined at the hip. They have been there for each other when it matters. They go to Bible studies together. They shop together. Uh, they are best friends. And last year, something happened that interrupted that. There was a conflict in their relationship. You see, Carol had a family member who uh, she wasn't getting along with. And that family member was good friends with Patty. And because of uh, that friendship that Patty had with this family member, and because Patty wasn't doing what Carol thought was right, Carol felt betrayed and hurt and wounded by Patty. And so every time Carol would come to church, there would be rage and resentment in her soul. On several occasions, she went to Patty's house and talked to her, not with gentleness and not with love, but lashing out in anger and saying things that she later on regretted. And this didn't just affect their relationship. It also affected Carol herself. Last year, Carol almost died. In October of last year, she had a heart attack that was partially stress-related. Thanks to many of our prayers, she survived that heart attack, but several stints were put in her heart. And during um, the, the coming weeks after the heart attack happened, um, myself and Scott and a bunch of other people started visiting her, and she started listening to the advice that people had been telling her for so long. She began to realize that being right and winning an argument or getting what she thought was fair was not more important than her relationship with Patty. She began to realize that the way of handling this issue and this conflict as a kingdom person, as a Jesus follower, required that she act differently and that she repent of her sin, that she release this heavy burden that she had. And so what Carol did was she followed this three-step process. She didn't call it that, but that's what she did. First, she examined her own actions and attitudes and owned up to her part in the conflict. She began to realize that she was trying to control and micromanage people and the situation. And that was not what God was calling her to do. And so she repented of that to God. And she went and gently and in love repented of the log that was in her own eye to Patty. Next, she talked to Patty 
And whether it was right or wrong, she expressed to her her frustrations, why she was hurt gently and in love. And then finally, they began mending their relationship and rebuilding their friendship and finding restoration and reconciliation because Carol chose to release the burden in their relationship and the burden in her own soul. And now there's forgiveness. Just this morning, they were hugging and talking in the lobby. And friends, this is exactly what peacemaking is all about. It's messy, and it doesn't always go the way we think it does, but it's what Jesus calls us to. Friendships are worth it. Family is worth it. And there's many of you today who are Christians and kingdom people, but the truth of the matter is, in the midst of conflict, you're not living like it. You're not living like a kingdom person. And I want to remind you that relationships are worth it. And what Jesus instructs us to do is that when somebody slaps you on one cheek, you turn to them the other also. When somebody asks you to go one mile, you go with them too. You're not a doormat, but you are a servant and you are called to follow in Jesus's footsteps. So you don't do what a lot of people do. You don't put your wedding ring on the table and walk out the front door when there's a fight with your spouse. You don't cut and run when a friendship gets difficult and hard. We don't write off our in-laws because they bother us. Of course they bother you. They're your in-laws. And someday you're probably going to be an in-law too and you'll bother other people. But the point of the matter is family is worth it. Both our blood family and our church family. In the past few years, there's been people who have left this church because they have been peacekeepers, because they have worked around issues instead of through them. And we have done everything within our power to bring them back. But the fact of the matter is, if we are not peacemakers with each other at Hope Covenant Church, that is going to happen. If we are not peacekeepers at Hope Covenant Church, we will not be a healthy church. And so I want to encourage you in your relationships, not just at home, but here at Hope, to take the log out of your own eye, to admit when you sin, to help take the speck out of your other's eye. This is very difficult. Church people don't like speck removal, but God calls us to it. And then finally, to release the burdens of wrongdoing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I have two daughters, Adeline and Chloe, and both of them look a little bit like me. Uh, if they're if they're lucky, they look more like Kelly. But to some extent, they all look like me and they they act like me. And that's because there's a family resemblance between them and, and myself. And God is telling us here is that when we are a peacemaker, that when we commit to this process, that when we commit not just seeking the absence of conflict in our life, but also the presence of well-being in the lives of everyone around us, then we are called children of God because there's a family resemblance between how we are acting and how we are living and how God lives and how God acts. Lynn Hybels once said, peacemaking is the most clear form of discipleship. And the reason it's the most clear form of discipleship is because Jesus came to earth in order to make peace. Jesus's whole mission in our world was peacemaking. And so when you and I engage in the difficult process of peacemaking, we begin looking and smelling like Jesus to those around us. And so in the next few days, I want to encourage you to really chew on this question of how can you be a peacemaker in your sphere of influence? 
On the back of your sermon guides, there's five questions that I put. And I encourage you uh, sometime today or maybe tomorrow just to take five or ten minutes and prayerfully answer those questions. Prayerfully ask how you can be a peacemaker, how you can seek the well-being of the people in your life. Please join me in prayer. With everybody's eyes closed and heads down, if you are going through a very difficult conflict right now and you need the supernatural resources of God, I ask that you would just raise your hand so I could see you and I could keep you in prayer this week. Just raise your hand if you are going through conflict. Thank you. I see those hands. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us. We live in a world that is often full of conflict and void of peace. And I ask, Father, that by your spirit, that you would make us a peacemaking community. That in our relationships at this church, Father, that we would look and smell like Jesus. That we would make peace and do the difficult work of examining our own life and confronting and engaging with others when they have wronged us and moving to a place of forgiveness, Father. This is what you call us to. This is when we are going to be the healthiest. This is when we are going to be the happiest. This is when we are going to be blessed. And so I ask, Father, that by your spirit, you would give us the power to do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take, take this time while we sing this next song to, uh, to reflect on, on what Brandon has said and, and just to invite God to continue to work in those spaces of your life.
as the as the offering plates go by that you drop your connect card in. Um, take a, take a moment and jot down any prayer requests you have, so so we can be in prayer for you this week. Um, and if you're if you're visiting, we just we let you know just let the plate pass. And uh, and if you're a faithful attender, we ask that you would give generously to the work of of the kingdom of God. So ushers, you can come forward.